Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Simone's name is Simone. And we are going to talk about Solar Power, the third studio album by Lord. Yeah, um, I'm here for the third time. You know, third time's the charm. Three third peat, time baby. is the charm. That's what they say. And th- <laughs> this is uh, this is the solar power of our <laughs> of, of your episodes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Take it a new direction and uh, we'll see how it goes. So we are going to do a little bit of dun, 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 what's pulping before we get into the album itself. Uh, but I guess we could also just start off with like um, your, your, your background with the album, your background with Lord, maybe. Oh, well, um, when it comes to Lord, I'm very highly qualified. And by very highly qualified, I mean, I was in the top 0.5% of Lord listeners on Spotify over the past year. So I do be listening to Lord. I wasn't on Spotify when uh, Melodrama came out, but that would probably be the year that she would be high up on mine. But that was also, you know, the big Paramore year. And there there were a couple of things that year that would have, (laughs) that would have ended up pretty high. Uh, But yeah, I was, you know, obviously was aware of lord in the in the royals era that Mm -hmm. was pretty early in my um my days as a critic and uh i hers was among the first uh you know works that i like analyzed i guess Mm -hmm. and um i i never i wouldn't say there was an era where i was like very into pure heroin but uh when melodrama came out i was instantly in love with it and um still still one of my favorites i'd say and now and now solar power was something that i was you know everyone was anticipating for a long time and mm-hmm. uh i have a lot of thoughts on it that we'll get into but before we do we do intend to talk a little bit about the grammys which were a topic of conversation on our last episode we didn't get to talk about it much because uh diego was not very knowledgeable about music um we did cover we went through the nominees in the major categories and we specifically talked about the rule change uh, in the major categories. Did you know about that? No. We'll go over it here. They, at the last minute with the major categories, they upped the number of nominations from eight to 10. Oh. And we know which two were added in each of those four big categories. So we did do a whole game with this on the last episode, but just to go through it real quick for record of the year, the two auditions were call me by your name. And I still have faith in you. Wait, who's, who's the, who's, I still have faith in you. That was ABBA with their first nomination ever. Okay, cool. That, that I'm, but I mean, both of those I'm happy about. I I love, I love ABBA. I love Lil Nas X. I'm, I'm glad they were both nominated. And then the um, song of the year, the two additional ones were Kiss Me More by Doja Cat and Right On Time by Brandy Carlisle. The additional ones in Best New Artist were Aruj Aftab and Baby Keem. And the, and the additions to the album of the year nominees, which I thought was just crazy, were Evermore and Donda. <laughs> that is a really great combination of those two artists. <laughs> the two, especially since they're both like... Especially since, you know, Taylor Swift's won like four album of the year Grammys yeah. and Kanye has like more Grammy nominations than anyone else. The fact that they were the two that got added right at the end. Yeah. And like, I I, I haven't really listened to either of those albums that extensively, but like, I will, I will say, I don't know whether it was for 
I well, I guess this is kind of going into more like the nominations with Donda is I know that that was partly how Marilyn Manson was nominated. And mm-hmm. I really wish that the Grammys had some sort of system in place for keeping people who are that level of monstrous from getting nominated. And like, because the Dr. Luke stuff as well, but like, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm also, I mean, personally annoyed with Kanye for putting Marilyn Manson on his music, but like, absolutely. to be honest, I think Kanye's got a, a lot of stuff going on. So like, sure. <laughs> that he's got to figure out, but like the Dr. Luke stuff is more like that people, from what I understand that like you, uh, I think like that it, there's some stuff in like Doja Cat's contract about her having to use him as a producer or something. Yeah, I believe Doja Cat is a Dr. Luke signee and she's like, um, you know, signed to his label, I believe. So there's um, part of the deal. Same thing with Kim Petras. And yeah, uh, yeah. It's just really that that, it just it makes me really frustrated because there's all these artists who I absolutely love who are like either signed to this guy or who use him as a producer. And it's especially frustrating because there was this whole big, very public show of support when Kesha started making music again, especially when Praying came out. And there was that big performance that she did with all those other women on stage, like backing her up and like singing with her. And Mm -hmm. the music industry as a whole is like, I think there've been like several very public notable examples of people who they're, are very clear, like very serious allegations being brought against and people won't stop working with those people. Yeah. And it's it's very, it's very frustrating to watch, especially because I love Kesha and I think she's a great musician. And I think praying is a very beautiful song. And I just I want better for her than to have to constantly hear about the man who horribly abused her for years and his work being praised. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of, in a way, it's insane how, how Dr. Luke sort of came back around. I think a lot of it is that he's so involved in like the business side of the industry mm-hmm. with publishing and having his own label and all that, that he was able to kind of, I mean, just operating under as many pseudonyms as he does. I think mm-hmm. he, you know, and obviously being able to find like young women and I don't want to assume anything about his whatever professional relationship he has with uh, with, with those people one way or the other, but um you know, he's obviously in a position where he, he was able to sort of start from scratch and build back um, in, a, in, a, in a really frustrating way. And you would think that it would reach a point at the level of the Grammys where, where they would say, let's, you know, the buck stops here. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think maybe there's a level at which Dr. Luke couldn't win a Grammy, but... <laughs> he got nominated so yeah I, <laughs> I i what i wish they could do is like because i love kiss me more i think it's a great song and i think like doja cat absolutely did deserve to get nominated for it i wish there was a way to just like remove people like that from the nomination like say like oh doja cat's nominated but not this piece of shit yeah <laughs> and if like only. i also w- i also partly wish they would be like 
it's just, it's very frustrating because I guess it feels like we're kind of very much now living in like the wake of the Me Too movement. And also in like the whole context of like cancel culture becoming a more heavily discussed thing. It feels like what has very much happened is a lot of these people who have done very harmful things have allowed, have been allowed to essentially like grab on to cancel culture and say, oh, well, I was just like unfairly canceled by the woke mob or whatever. Like that's what Louis C.K. did. Like after the stuff that came out about him um, sexually harassing other comics came out, he basically... I think he did like a whole stand-up performance where he like made fun of the kids who were survivors of like the Parkland shooting. And cause I feel like people who get canceled for doing genuinely heinous shit, I feel like they realize that they can still have a career if they just keep appealing to people who like genuinely heinous shit. Yeah, and I think what's convenient for those people about the cancel culture label is that it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. But it, it but it just signifies <laughs> it signifies something unjust, but it's so general that when it is justified, you can also say that you were canceled. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's frustrating because like there's actually um a piece that was written a few years ago by Ta-Nehisi Coates for the New York Times about how some form of cancel culture has always existed, but it was usually happening in a very different direction. And it was people who were very conservative being able to cancel like more progressive people and keep them from doing things. Like he brought up, I don't know whether this was in his piece or I think he did an interview with Trevor Noah about the piece where he talked about what happened to Colin Kaepernick as an example of cancel culture. And the thing is, is stuff like that doesn't get thought of as cancel culture. It only gets thought of as cancel culture when it's like kids on Twitter raising a fuss about it instead of, um, hugely powerful like conservative politicians or business people raising concerns about it because those types of people have always been allowed to quote unquote cancel people whenever they want i mean Mm -hmm. what i i hate what i'm about to say so much what were the mccarthy trials if not the 1950s cancel culture (laughs) right I, i think that part of the notion of cancel culture is built on the idea that the, the power structure has been democratized because of social media. And, you know, I just don't think that's really true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh boy, is it not it. really true? Like <laughs> every, like, I don't understand these people who think cancel culture is this super serious thing that exists. And the Grammys are just like a perfect example of that because these people who have done these insanely heinous things, not just like oh, they said a, sh- a slightly homophobic thing once, but like that both Marilyn Manson and Dr. Luke seriously sexually abused women for years. It's not just them, it's also Chris Brown, who has been for some reason allowed to remain in the music industry, despite the fact that he very publicly, violently abused Rihanna, who is a much bigger star than he is. And one would almost kind of hope that like her level of startup would be able to kind of stomp him out. But like, mm-hmm. well, to be fair, I don't think that she ever intended to yeah. do that in the in the wake of that relationship. But I yeah. I, I, I definitely agree that he <laughs> shouldn't still be working after the you know many years of that pattern continuing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the major snubs 
as mentioned earlier, and there were a few, some people talked about uh, Moniskin not getting nominated. People talked about Megan not getting much. Um, BTS obviously only got one. Nothing for Miley, which was surprising, I would say. Um, but also, there were no nominations for Lord, Which is kind of shocking because, I mean, when Melodrama came out, despite the fact that it wasn't like this huge hit album, like it wasn't like constantly in the top 100 hot 100 and stuff it got a bunch of like surprise grammy nominations and yeah the grammys has really loved lord in the past i i think this is something that i noticed overall when solar power was coming out is a lot of the negative reaction to it or not even necessarily negative because i think most people were like yeah it's a good album but like they weren't really crazy about it is that there had been this built up anticipation for it for so many years that I feel like there was no way that it was ever going to kind of fully live up to that. And absolutely because she had had such a fantastic first album, because she'd had such a fantastic second album, there's not really a ton of space to go up. And the fact that mm-hmm. Solar Power is kind of framed as like a concept album makes that even harder because concept albums can be kind of like a tougher sell, I feel like. Definitely. As much as I enjoy a bunch of the songs on solar power and as much as i think it's still a pretty great album like i think the hard thing is that a huge part of like lord's audience and like this is part of i mean this is a big part of why i listen to her is like that she writes music that feels very real and honest and like um like i loved pure i still love pure heroin but like i loved it when i was around the age that lord was when she wrote it it was a good album for being in your teens and the feelings that go with that and then melodrama is kind of like a good album for like your college age years or like your early 20s and then I feel like a lot of people were expecting solar power to be that for like I guess more your mid-20s because that's how old she is now and it wasn't and I think that's part of the reason why a lot of like lord fans were like oh this isn't what I wanted because I think Lord has kind of like almost created too much of a specific persona for her music. Yeah. And having that persona and then saying, okay, I'm going to make a completely unrelated concept album is going to be kind of a hard sell. I Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the expectations were very high and her sort of concept early on was like, I'm not going to turn in the same thing that I that I turned in the last couple of times like this is going to be an album but um I think there was some confusion you know I think there were mixed messages about what kind of album this was from her like like you know the the first song on the album and you know obviously we'll get into each of the songs on the album but she sort of goes in like you know if you're looking for a savior that's not me uh, but the the first taste of it with solar power was sort of it, he, she didn't come out right out of the gate with like she came out of the gate with a different sound, but she didn't come right out of the gate like this is not going to be what you're used to for me. Mm-hmm. You know, she sort of came out of the gate with something that had a lot of layers of meaning to it and was sort of like, y- you know, lyrically and musically, there was there's a lot of like that same sort of cleverness <laughs> yeah. that, that her other albums have. And then, you know, I think there's sort of a mixed idea of how much of this is a concept album, how much of this is a where she is in her life right now album. Yeah. And, you know, to what extent it is and isn't what what the other albums are. I mean, I really, when when Solar Power first came out, I really liked it. I think that I found like the, um when it was like accidentally put out on Spotify a couple hours early and I got like the um link to it from one of my friends and then I sent it to you. 
I like remember that whole text conversation. And I remember the first time that I listened to it. And I think I told you this at the time is that like the kind of bridge in it where she's like, like the song yeah. really reminds me of Freedom 90, which is a song that I sure, really yeah. like. And I kind of felt like when that song came out, I think I kind of like assumed oh, is this going to be what the rest of the album is like? But then I was also like, oh, well, Greenlight was kind of more of like a dance song, but that wasn't necessarily what the rest of melodrama was like. Right. But it was still, I mean, it it set a very specific tone. And I was like, oh, this is very different. I'm I'm intrigued. I want to see what's coming next. I like that she's kind of like, playing with the the music video is also kind of like playing with the imagery of like her is almost kind of like a cult leader which i thought was really yeah. funny like the like the line of like i'm kind of like a prettier jesus i love that fucking line so much like that's so funny and i just i like i think it's hard i think like i think it's just a really hard thing to figure out how to release yeah it, it, it can be a, a confounding album at times and i think it's Indicative of her wanting to be the kind of artist who can put out an album that's not an event, but is still like, you know, layered with different kinds of meanings and stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, something that she can play around with. And I feel like having that narrative of being a pop star a little bit, even though that was never really her bag as such, I think um, sort of complicates that even further because she's sort of putting herself in the lane of like, I mean, Claro and Phoebe Bridgers are, you know, two heavy features on that album, but also she's kind of putting herself in like a St. Vincent position in, in a lot of ways. And there's, you know, obviously a lot of overlap there, but I think that, you know, when she comes out of the gate as someone who, and I think part of it is that parallel where Solar Power as a lead single is similar to Greenlight as a lead single. And then she followed it up with Stoned at the Nail Salon, where she followed up Greenlight with Liability. Like there, there was an element of like, you know, she was trying to sort of forego those expectations. But in the way that she rolled this out, she sort of built up the expectations of like, there's going to be a lot going on on this album. And maybe there's actually not that much going on on the album like as much as people were hoping for, we'll we'll get into it. But um, I do think that there are some kind of half-formed ideas that that, that run throughout it. I think it's also hard because I think a lot of this album was like, from what I know, parts of it were being recorded at very different times. So like Mm -hmm. some of it was recorded during the pandemic. Some of it was recorded pre-pandemic. I know that... um, Mm -hmm she was planning on releasing it like back in 2019 but then I think she her dog died and then she was like I want to have some time to like be sad about my dog dying which is very reasonable you know you gotta be sad about your yeah. your losing your dog yeah that's very reasonable but like I, I think that kind of the hard thing with like having an album that you know you're like waiting so long between like the production of it and when you're actually releasing it especially in like given how weird the pandemic has kind of made everything like releasing music right now is just really hard I think yeah definitely and I also think that um not to nitpick the process but I believe that you know her dog died and she would later reveal that she ended up being back in the studio a couple of months later Mm -hmm. which is you know makes sense but 
in the narratives of how these songs came to be, there are definitely some songs that were already written and in process before she came back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when that kind of thing happens, you know, that's often a moment where I'll hear about an artist like starting from scratch and making something completely different. And I think when you're trying to sort of build on ideas from a different phase in your life, that can start to create some of these mixed messages that we're talking about. Yeah. So I have, as always, prepared some history uh, before we get into the album itself, you know, the background that we all know, the, 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 the rest is history. Part of the history is that Lord releases Pure Heroin in September of 2013. It's a monster hit, uh, particularly Royals, regarded among the most influential songs of the 21st century. I certainly think so. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the, the prospect of following it up is terrifying. So the story begins, as all great stories do, with Grimes. Oh no! At a Grimes concert, circa 2015, Lord meets producer Jack Antonoff. I'm sorry, I need a little time to process that. Go ahead. Okay. 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 <laughs> I need like some, I feel like I need like some smelling salts or something. <laughs> Oh my god. So Lord and Jack Antonoff meet at this Grimes concert. And at this time, a year or two removed from the success of Pure Heroin, very apprehensive about following it up, has no idea what she's going to do. Lord and Jack meet in a small studio with a big piano, and they he encourages her to start to explore the like changes in her life since Pure Heroin came out. And the songs that come out of that, those sessions are the bones of Lord's next project, Melodrama. Everyone's quick to note, Lord's got the vision, Lord's doing Lord, and Jack Antonoff is just sort of, you know, tinkering around, helping her bring it mm-hmm. to life. But, if, you know, that partnership is is instrumental in the production of both Melodrama and Solar Power. June 16th, 2017, Lord releases Melodrama. It's one of the most acclaimed releases of 2017, nominated for a Grammy for Album of the Year, and has since been regarded by many as one of the best pop albums of the 2010s, or even of all time. It's also, relative to Pure Heroin, a commercial disappointment, Mm -hmm. notching a single top 40 hit and failing to reach platinum status. Mm -hmm. So the, I will say, I do actually know kind of an interesting thing, because I remember while this was happening, there was a very intense conspiracy theory that a large part of melodrama was written about an affair between Lord and Jack Antonoff while they were working on the album together. I don't know how much stock I put into that, but like, especially because it just, it doesn't really mesh with the, I guess with what I kind of have heard about Jack Antonoff as a person. We were kind of touching on this earlier, but that he's like one of the few producers in the industry who isn't trying to like fuck anything that walks in front of him. Right. But like it it certainly is, I guess, part of the history of that album because people were I mean, people have always had these kind of like really intense conspiracy theories about stuff. Like there's there's like always some portion of people's fandoms that has like very intense conspiracy theories about them. Like there's still the people who were like convinced that like Taylor Swift is a lesbian, the fact that despite the fact that she is literally the straightest woman to ever live. Um, 
I, I do not understand those people. I'm so sorry. I never will. Yeah. Like that's what that yeah, conspiracy theory kind of reeks up to me is like fans drawing from like personal experiences, like maybe from an affair with an older man or an older man in a relationship. Cause I think at the time he was, I don't know whether he's still with Lena Dunham, but he was with her at the time. He was at the time. Yeah. yeah. And like, Maybe I feel like a lot of the time people kind of project, say like, oh, I have had this kind of similar relationship. So I think she and I find things that remind me of that relationship in the song. So I think it must be this. I mean, this is partly going into like how people interact with music. And one of the general critiques that I have of how a lot of people in fandom interact with media is that like there isn't a lot of room for the idea of you can find a meaning that was never intended to actually be there by the writer and it can still be a valid and important thing to you even if it wasn't intended by the person who wrote it yeah and and you know i definitely think there's uh, a place for that as long as it doesn't enter the realm of revising uh history yeah and you know lord and jack and lena dunham have all have been have been vocal about the fact that that uh did not happen yeah <laughs> i feel I, I feel bad for kind of everyone involved in that because it's just like a shitty thing to spread about someone yeah and we kind of know that like the the photographer guy that lord was dating at the time is who is who melodrama is about mm-hmm. like there there's some you know some specific stuff there mm-hmm. but yeah so as was the case with pure heroin lord disappeared for extended periods of for an extended period following uh, melodrama's release the first we hear from her is in October of 2018 when she reveals in her newsletter that she's learning how to play the piano herself and that while she hasn't made any headway with the album so far she expects it to be born out of the piano uh, it turned out not to be but in <laughs> February of 2019 uh, she visits Antarctica and she made her first post-melodrama public appearance in April of 2019, performing at a benefit concert for victims of the Christchurch shooting. Next, in August, on the two-year anniversary of Melodrama's release, she finally confirmed that she had an album in the oven. In the same email, she revealed that she'd taken up bread baking and adopted a dog and a cat. Oh, is that the, and that's the dog that passed away. Three months later, oh. she announces that her album is indefinitely postponed due to the death of her dog. Oh, that's, that's real sad. Yeah, and she she basically said, I mean, she said there's a song on this album that she says is about the dog, but she also said that like the whole the whole album was kind of you know the dog was a major source of inspiration up to that point. So she uh, yeah yeah sure yeah that's how it is. Around this same time, it's the end of the decade. Critics and publications are reflecting on the tens and. Royals is one of the 20 biggest hits of the decade. So in March of 2020, she gives an interview with Triple J reflecting on the song and reveals that her record is back on the menu and it's, quote, starting to take a very exciting shape. Mm, What's an exciting shape? Like an orb? One must ponder that. I I think Mm. her album was in ponderable shape at that point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Damn, girl. In May... Lord revealed that she had returned to the studio with Jack Antonoff and Malay, uh, another producer who worked on melodrama, most known for his work with Frank Ocean, uh, that they had returned to the studio in December of 2019, which again, uh, three months after the release about her dog dying, Mm -hmm. and that despite the pandemic, they were continuing to work together remotely. In October, while urging fans to vote in New Zealand's general election, she teased, quote, next year, I'll give you something in return. 
And the next month, she announced Going South, a memoir documenting her 2019 trip to Antarctica, which she reveals to have been an inspiration for the album. She also describes the book as a sort of perfect precursor in an abstract way to her next record. She At this point, she starts to get into some of the like inspirations behind the album, the climate crisis, that trip to Antarctica, the dog, her removal from social media and reconnection with nature during her four-year hiatus. The musical sources that she mentions are the Mamas and the Papas and the Bee Gees combined with turn-of-the-century beachside optimism like S Club 7, Natalie Imbruglia, and Nelly Furtado. Hell yeah. <laughs> that that sounds so good to me. <laughs> definitely. And you like, I, I hear Nelly Furtado all over this album. Like, oh, yeah. there, there's definitely, th- those sounds definitely do come through at a lot of points. I want to hear Maneater is covered by Lord. <laughs> yeah. I think she did a, she did like a Britney cover uh, earlier this year. She's, you know. Oh, wait. What if, <laughs> what if we got promiscuous song by Jack Antonoff and Lord? Pretty good. <laughs> I would love to hear it. Absolutely. Uh, Each of her albums, she's talked about how each of her albums correlates to the drugs she used while creating them. Pure heroin is alcohol. Melodrama is MDMA. Solar Power was initially an acid album, but after a bad trip, it ultimately became a weed album. (laughs) I did not know this, actually. Yeah. Well. Some interesting stuff. It it, it comes through, definitely. And, you know, it it is a weed album. I'll (laughs) I'll give her I mean, that. there's literally a song called Stoned at the Nail Salon. Yeah. She uh, also said in the lead up to this album, I, quote, I would almost value people not understanding it at first. It sort of depresses me when an album comes out and I click through it really fast and I look at the genius and read all the lyrics in three minutes and I realize I know exactly what it is and it isn't going to grow. And so, you know, indeed, uh, people didn't respond to it right away. Uh, its lead single peaked at 64 on the Hot 100, and while it enjoyed a positive reception, some felt it too tonally similar to Jack Antonoff's other recent production work, and the album in turn peaked at number five on the Billboard charts. Uh, some critics described it as a near masterpiece, while others called it hackneyed, tired, underdeveloped, uh, and Lord acknowledged that the album didn't have major hit potential. The quote here is, there's definitely not a smash. It makes sense that there wouldn't be a smash because I don't even really know what the smashes are now. And I think that says something interesting about, um, I mean, the TikTok era and mm-hmm. that, that, that sort of it's it's democratized, but it's also built around an algorithm still. And there's, you know, a lack of rhyme or reason, I think, to, yeah. what, to what does become a hit right now. Yeah, it's also I think this is one of my frustrations a lot in a lot of ways with Stan culture is that something can become a hit, not because of its own actual merit, but because there's just like such an intense number of fans that will like play it thousands of times and like go so hard for it that even if it's like not that great of a song, it becomes a hit. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, her kind of wanting it to be an album that people didn't really get right away. You can sort of speculate maybe that if she had gotten to in her head about wanting to make something sort of sort of ambiguous, it it can sort of uh, wear down the project, I think. Mm -hmm. The the one thing that I found really interesting is there was a um, interview that Lord and David Byrne did together. I th- for mm-hmm. musicians on musicians and they did like a photo shoot together and I- it actually kind of makes me think that like a lot of the same reasons why I enjoy like 
I think that Lord is almost kind of going for a bit of a talking heads vibe, not necessarily mm-hmm. with like that the music sounds super like talking heads, but that it's like, it's a little bit weird and you don't in- initially like get it immediately. And like, that seems like something that like David Byrne has always kind of been into that he's just sort of like, I'll, I'll make my weird thing. And if you like my weird thing, that's great. But like, yeah. I also just, I, I like both of them a lot. And I, I love the combination of a Lord and David Byrne musicians on musicians interview. Yeah, I would like to see them do like what David Byrne did with St. Vincent and, mm-hmm. you know, do a whole album together. I, I, I think <laughs> there, there's a lot to be done there. And especially like there was an era in Lord's career where like everything she did had to be so carefully planned mm-hmm. that like it wouldn't have been possible. But I think in the post solar power era, she sort of has a little more freedom to, mm-hmm. you know, do those kind of collaborative projects. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe she got what she wanted out of this in a lot of ways, but um, yeah. In, in terms of the talking heads thing, I definitely think there's a lot, there's a lot more leaning towards like um, playfulness with like concepts and sounds and, you know, things aren't always fully formed and some things are really, sprawling and some of them are really uh close but i you know i definitely think that this album trends in the direction of like creative exploration that sometimes is songs and sometimes is albums and um you know isn't isn't as rigid as as what she was sort of the box she was sort of put into by Mm -hmm. the the success that she had with her first album so um i appreciate that a lot and i definitely think there's some talking headsness to it um i think like i mean i kind of what based off of like spitting off of what you said about like the box that she was kind of put into initially lord has never to me entirely fit in with the way that like like with the boxes that she was put into is like either that she's like this new great pop artist because she's never been all that pop like she's never made like Mm -hmm. bubblegum pop music and also that she's never seemed all that concerned with being like a hit maker I think it's interesting because she does not make the kind of music that is super built for the current era of like super intense, everything you do is perfection, stan culture and award shows and super high production music videos and all that stuff. I mean, now we're like going back to royals and like, that's not the kind Lord isn't a royal. Right. That she's this very big influence without people have been like trying to be the new Lord for like years and years and years. Absolutely. And it never fully works because the reason why Lord as the Lord worked was because she wasn't trying to be this like edgy alternative, but still like super pop girl. She was just like, that was just the music that she wanted to make. It wasn't like, I mean, I think part of it was a persona, but like uh, all these artists who were like, I'm going to be the new alternative girl like I cannot picture Lord ever having the thought of like I'm the alternative pop girl yeah and I mean even at the time of Lord coming out there were a ton of you know I mean St. Vincent is of that era and like Lana Del Rey and Grimes and um I don't know uh churches like the idea of being like Sky Ferreira like the idea of being like an alt pop girl at that time was a huge thing Mm -hmm. and I think that part of why Lord broke through was because she wasn't I want to say she wasn't really just trying to be like part of a scene you know like she made I mean Royals is really more poppy and sort of simplistically designed than a lot of those songs I mean the harmonies are crazy but that like it's sort of pared down in a way that's a lot more um accessible I think and I think that you know as as like writerly and weird as Lord can be and I think maybe part of the reason that melodrama 
didn't connect is because it leaned into being writerly and weird in a way that um, pure heroine uh, wasn't always. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, you know, being as young as she was, was definitely a part of why she resonated too. But, you know, Royals is a song that you can ask your, your grandmother about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that this is kind of like reminding me that like um, pure heroine was the first album I ever like asked my parents to buy for me, like as a CD. And mm-hmm. It, my parents also really like Lord, so like they would play the album in the car and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I did get tired of Royals pretty quickly because it got played like constantly. And as much as I like it and think it's a good song, there's only so many times I can hear it. Like I've always been more of a ribs girl. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that brings us uh, not so fluidly into the album itself. Mm-hmm. And it opens with The Path which is, uh, you know, an interesting little intro track. We start with these sort of woozy guitars. And it's interesting right out of the gate just because Lord has been sort of dogmatically anti-guitar in the past. And, you know, she's talked about how she and Jack both think it's funny that she ended up making a guitar album. But, um, you know, starting off on that note is interesting. The really interesting thing to me is that it doesn't start with just Lord singing. Like this entire song is Lord and Claro and Phoebe Bridgers layered on top of each other. And honestly sounds like she's like Lord is sort of low in the mix on purpose in this song. Like it, you know, you really hear a distinct voice that is not quite Lord's uh to 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 kick this album off. Yeah. I mean, I liked, I mean, I like the path a lot. I, I like Clara and I like Phoebe Bridgers. And I thought it was, I think it's an interesting start to the album because it, it's very different from what I think I was anticipating from Solar Power. And like, that's, I mean, that's kind of like how I felt about a lot of the album is that it, it felt very different from what I imagined it was going to be. Yeah, I think, um, you know, structurally, it sort of follows a similar like path to, to, to solar power and that it you know it, it builds towards that refrain and then sort of like goes out for a while on it let's hope the sun will show us the path mm-hmm. uh, but um it's definitely interesting i mean it's interesting how the first verse is kind of about her like you know born in the year of oxycontin raised in the tall grass teen millionaire having nightmares from the camera which is like it starts by sort of building up her journey from like birth to where she is now mm-hmm. and then the second verse is completely about the met gala <laughs> which at first i was like <laughs> i was like that's weird but i think that um listening to this album as a whole i think that there you know she's sort of reflecting on some of the images of celebrity that she played with on pure heroin and sort of you know t- taking those things that would be you know supermodels dancing around a pharaoh's tomb is something that she would have said metaphorically in the uh, in the pure heroin era and now it's completely literal yeah you know i i, I think that she's sort of coming on the other side of like she said we'll never be royals and then she was a royal and now she's on the other end of that i think i I think that's sort of the idea there i I think she's also i think very clearly trying to distance herself from being like you know i can't be the person that everyone always wants me to be or i can't be the savior yeah the uh if you're looking for a savior that's not me part you know i i definitely think that that's a, a level of like you know, just coming right out of the gate, that was something that I think she wanted to say going into this album that mm-hmm. like, <laughs> that like, I, you know, I'm done with those expectations. Like, this is not what you're going to get from me. Mm-hmm. But I also think that especially contrasted with the next song, the Solar Power and just the the album as a whole, I think that there's sort of a, 
there might be a little more going on there in the narrative. You, you know, she's talking about we all the time on Pure Heroine and she's sort of talking about like her and her friends and also sort of resonating with the audience. And on melodrama, it's very much about I and herself. And here she she says that uh, I can't be your savior, but then she says, let's hope the sun will show us the path. So she mm-hmm. is kind of um, bringing it back to that, like speaking for a group mm-hmm. kind, kind of perspective in a way that I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I did like this track. Lyrically, uh, maybe n- not as striking as some of her best stuff, but the arrangement is really great. And like I said, I really like the way that the vocals come together. And so, yeah, that takes us into the title track and the lead single, Solar Power. She's kind of like a prettier Jesus. Yeah, this you know, coming out of the gate with this song, I, it was it was a really interesting sort of... Uh, new perspective on it. I think everyone was excited to sort of dig into it and go through all the layers. I certainly was. And um, there's a lot of evocative uh, stuff on here. A lot of, you know, like you said, that Freedom 90 connection is definitely there. I do have a a little bit of history here in terms of uh, the song specifically. It's, I mean, first of all, it's just interesting that like these two sort of both being like the introduction to the album in a way with solar power being the lead single and the title track i think that you know it's interesting how relative to the path uh solar power starts with like a very like simple guitar where the other one starts with this real woozy psychedelic thing and then this one the first we we hear lord (laughs) like 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 on, on a very simple arrangement we are hearing lord talking at the start of this track i hate the winter the, the history that I have is that it was originally ri- initially written by Lord at Larry David's house in Martha's Vineyard. Larry David! <laughs> what are you doing with my falafels? She, <laughs> she's uh, close friends with Larry David's daughter and they're having a, oh, a okay. weekend over there. Okay, that makes sense. She and Jack Antonoff were working on cracking the chorus for months on end. She described how she wanted it to, quote, sound like skateboarding. And she cited uh, Rock DJ by Robbie Williams and Steal My Sunshine by Len as uh, some of the influences that she was working with and that apparently Jack Antonoff was uh, confused about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, when I first heard it, I almost kind of wondered if she was going for like a bit of a Beach Boys thing. Mm, Yeah, I I definitely think there are moments where that uh, comes out on this record. I guess, you know, the Steal My Sunshine thing is not something that I think I would have picked up on on my own. But, you know, after sort of taking that into account, I definitely think that like, you know, I guess you can think of Freedom 90 as sort of like the the space that it ends up in. That's sort of the middle ground. But I think that uh, with the drums and the, you know, the the guitar and just the the vibes of it. I mean, it does sound like summer in a way. Mm-hmm. I think it I think there are songs on this album that better capture that early 2000s uh, energy. But there's, um, you know, I hear that a little bit on here. I mean, it has a lot going on in its arrangement. It starts really simple, but then it's like not just building those those, you know, insane harmonies that come in at the end, but also the the waves and the cicadas. And there's like there's kind of people talking in the background the whole time. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's a very loose uh, song in a fun <laughs> way. And then, yeah, like the first track, it sort of starts in the, in a simple place with, uh, you know, the when the heat comes, something takes a hold. Uh, I, I like this like kind of playful take on can I kick it where it's like, <laughs> where, where it's like, you know, in, in the sense of relaxing, it's like, can I kick it? Yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> and then things start to get more interesting on that bridge, which was the, the first thing that she wrote. Um, oh, the definitely a fun, a fun part of the song there. I like that part a lot, but, yeah. uh, 
the my boy behind me he's taking pictures part is interesting because as i mentioned her melodrama era ex-boyfriend was a photographer mm-hmm. so it, it could be a, a, a sort of dual meaning on behind me i think actually because oh. like uh, <laughs> well, yeah especially with the, the first chorus being forget all the tears you cried it's over i think that uh you know that it, it's it sort of might mean something different from what it appears definitely I think there's an interesting, this is where that interesting contrast comes in, where she's like, lead the boys and girls onto the beaches. Come on, come all, I'll tell you my secrets. I'm kind of like a prettier Jesus, where on the last song, she said, if you're looking for a savior, that's not me. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because she like very deliberately was like, I'm not a savior. But then on this song, she's almost like kind of playing with this like sort of like cult leader role. And she kind of, that's also kind of like the vibes in the music video is that's kind of what it feels like is that mm-hmm. she's this kind of like seventies commune cult leader almost. And it it feels a little bit like she's kind of making fun of that idea. Like it doesn't feel it within the con within the larger context of the album. It feels like she's making fun of the idea of like her being able to play that role. That isn't really necessarily something that she wants, but that like that she finds humor in people applying it to her. Yeah, I, I could see this song being sort of a sort of playful and kind of, you, you know, almost teasing the audience in a way. I definitely think she's, you know, sort of leaning into that idea of like playing characters on this album and, you know, how she's sort of playing a character on her previous albums. But this is like sort of questioning who those characters are in uh, in some interesting ways. But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, Prettier Jesus is such a is such a sort of out there line that it. I think I captioned some picture on my Instagram with that or like that was my social media bio for a little bit because I just thought it was so funny. I'm definitely not unique in that. All of like the sad Lord girls were like, oh my God, I am kind of like a prettier Jesus. I think that, um, you know, in terms of this song, she's sort of fashioning herself as a, as a priestess of the sun, I think. And maybe there's a way where like, you know, she's teasing at that role that she played on previous albums, but she's also like, you know, to start this album saying, let's hope the sun will show us the path and then sort of be be leading everybody into the sun as, you know, come on, come on, I'll tell you my secrets. I think there's, uh, she's saying she can't be a savior, but like she's not in charge in the same way that a priest isn't in charge of a church, you know, <laughs> like like, mm-hmm. she, you're like the sun's in charge, but I'll, I'll tell you everything the sun has to say. <laughs> so I, I think she's uh, having fun with that. And of course, I mean, she did say, like, let me be your ruler on 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 Royals. I think there's definitely sort of a that was also maybe kind of being playful with that idea of like, you know, we're not the powers that be. We're not the aristocrats, but I'll be in charge. And then you can call me Queen B. I, I think it's sort of a parallel. And then, of course, the first chorus, forget all the tears that you cried. It's over. It's a new state of mind. Are you coming, my baby? The, the my baby is interesting. Is that referring to the audience? Is it based on the way that some other things on this album go? I wonder if it, she's kind of talking to herself in a way like like the the ruler character of herself and then the, you know, sort of more personal character of herself. And she's like, you know, on liability and on uh, other songs on this album, there's, you know, she's sort of playing with this idea that that she's in a relationship with herself and that there are, you know, those two sides to her. So I think there might be something there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Acid Green, Aquamarine, the girls are dancing in the sand. I <laughs> That might be my favorite part of the song, actually. But uh, it strikes me as an allusion to green light where, mm-hmm. you know, the... The, the green light there is the moment that she sort of has permission to to move on 
And so the the chorus saying, forget all the tears that you cried, it's over. It's like, you know, she, she has the green light. Yeah. And also that like green light kind of is sort of in that genre of like songs that are like the lyrics are kind of sad, but like it's very much like a song you can dance to, which is like a genre of song that I absolutely love. It's um, it's the dancing on my own genre, which is my favorite genre of, of pop song. And this this album is very, very different from that. And I think that's interesting. And of course, she also said on Liability, you're all going to watch me disappear into the sun. <laughs> we did. We did watch her disappear into the sun. We did. And the way that the second chorus is sort of, you know, turn it on a new kind of right at solar, uh, you know, leaning even more into the cult leader stuff. Come on and let the bliss begin. It's sort of like the, the Lord of that character is disappearing mm-hmm. and now it's just it's just it's just the the praises of the sun the mm-hmm. sun salutations as she says on other track but um one of my favorites on this album i think that that like steal my sunshine energy is not fully realized and um i i hate to point to jack antonoff as a source of problems but because uh, i think it's like you know it's, it's a cheap kind of narrative to write and i you know i like a lot of his stuff but i think that um she does talk about how he wasn't convinced about that the like kitschy 90s you know skateboarder <laughs> energy and i could see him sort of leading the track away from there i feel like i mean there's there's key, more keys on freedom 90 even but i think just having like some kind of keyboard part like obviously steal my sunshine has that dun dun dun, dun but just giving it like a little bit of a groove Mm-hmm. throughout I think it might have made it stronger yeah I, I will say the thing that always that I kind of like hear a lot on this album and that I kind of heard more on the song once I like saw the music video for it is there's this kind of like almost sense of like a bit of like an uncanny valley about it that like it's mm. there's this kind of like glossy sheen over something that's like not necessarily that doesn't necessarily match up with that like Mm-hmm. A lot of this seems like, you know, there's like all the imagery of like, you know, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. I'm not, you know, listening to toxic people on social media. I've moved on from my ex-boyfriend, yada, yada, yada. But there's also this kind of like, it it, it feels like it's, it feels very clearly like a facade. And it also feels like she's kind of acknowledging that it's a facade, that it's also a character. Mm-hmm. And like, because the reality is, is that like you might be able to like delete all your social media and dump your ex-boyfriend and go to Antarctica to see how pretty the sun looks in Antarctica. But like you can never completely disconnect yourself from the world you're a part of. And I think that's like one of the things that like Lord is kind of grappling with on this album is that she never seemed comfortable with the world of high celebrity Mm-hmm. So there's this like kind of uncomfortableness that she has with like playing cult leader that she's that she doesn't really exactly know how to like carry off that sort of that I'm this all powerful cult leader who knows everything. She seems very unsure of that. Yeah. And I'll get into my thoughts on that later on in the project. I do think that there's sort of an overall sense of like she sees a, a futility in looking for per- perfection in the inner world, like, like acknowledging the problems of the world, but then sort of retreating into a, a false idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, speaking of being uncomfortable with celebrity, that's sort of what a big part of what the next song, uh, California, is about. It opens with a, a, a very melancholy track relative to the first two, uh, sort of, you know, 
bringing us down from from that from that high of the end of solar power begins with this anecdote about the grammys in 2014 when carol king awarded her song of the year for royals uh, i stood up the room exploded and i knew that's it i'll never be the same and as she goes through this song she's personifying this celebrity lifestyle as a partner i'd pay it all again to have your golden body back in my bed you know the boy taking pictures in the previous song can be her boyfriend who took pictures but I think that could also be this sort of personified celebrity lifestyle Mm -hmm. that's, you know, behind her taking pictures. I almost feel like the golden body could also be like literally like the golden body of an award because they are often gold. I think melodically this song feels more Lord than the other ones do. Like, like, like it's just a little more in line with uh, what I expect from her. The arrangements are very Antonoff also. <laughs> There's sort of a, like, like this is the strongest, like this is, you know, Lord with Jack Antonoff production here. Mm-hmm. He talks about the bottles and the models in a way that again, kind of recalls some of the images of celebrity that she talked about on Pure Heroin that again, were sort of um, metaphorical there and are now so literal. I think that, you know, this idea of her relationship with that celebrity lifestyle, it sort of makes the, you know, talking about the Met Gala on the path that starts to, you know, come together with that mm-hmm. in, a, in a cool way, I think. She pointed out the line, kids in line for the new Supreme as an, another example of something where like, she says, it's a classic thing, me thing to say, something that is modern, but could sound classic. It's literally there in line for the new Supreme, but the new Supreme is such an evocative phrase. And I think that that's another example of like, again, just the the the, the metaphorical things that she talked about on Pure Heroin are not so literal. <laughs> that, uh, you yeah, know, I, th- I think it's uh, I, th- I think it is probably literally the new Supreme, but it's also um, that there's been this like weird kind of like cult leader or priestess energy and that you talk about like the new Supreme of like a coven or something. And like, I would be surprised if that also wasn't being played into here. Let's see. Every time I smell tequila, the garden grows up in my mind again. The garden is interesting. It reminds me of the the tall grass that she says she was raised on in raising in the path and how like, you know, that could mean a lot of things, but if, if the garden is like this, this idyllic sort of vision of, of being famous, then it could be the, uh, mm-hmm. that, that the tall grass is, is, you know, the way that, <laughs> the way that that image is sort of impressed on children. And then there's this ending that's especially sort of, sort of uh, evocative here where she's like, uh, you know, after don't want that California love, she starts saying, it's just a dream uh, <laughs> and I want to wake up. Which, you know, I guess could definitely speak to that relationship of like nothing sort of real there and how she, you know, had to had to wake up to real life. Or it could speak to how this sort of glossy sort of texture that you're talking about with all the with all the natural stuff on this album, how that's all a dream. And some part of her wants to return to the reality that she is a celebrity. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also likely that the garden is at least like partly supposed to be um, like the Garden of Eden, just because like I feel like biblical symbolism is so common and it's the symbolism of like the garden is a perfect golden place is very much, you know, the Garden of Eden. That's what that is. It's this perfect golden place where you're happy and where everything is like shiny and perfect. But, you know, it's, it's also not a place where people can remain. It's not a place where you can remain if you're human, really. It's a, it's a place it's a place of perfection that you sort of break by existing in. Yeah. I would say that there's a lot of interesting like puzzle piece stuff to put together on this song. 
it's definitely the weakest of the three so far. Mm. It's not not as memorable. The music isn't isn't quite there in the way that it is on the first two. I did like it though. Yeah, it's nice. Next is Stoned at the Nail Salon, which was the second single. Again, following that path from going from the the hooky one to the reflective one. Lord says that this song was born out of a fear of becoming out of touch and that it takes place shortly after melodrama when she first returned to that life of seclusion. Lyrically, I think this is the the strongest on the album so far. A lot of really, uh, you know, evocative stuff. And in that classic Lord way, where she's like, you know, the first line got a wishbone drawing on the windowsill in my kitchen just in case I wake up and realize I've chosen wrong. Like it's it's so specific and personal. And yet it's also really kind of arcane. Yeah, I, I really like the song and I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know whether this is um, something like I don't know which of the songs she was writing um, before her dog past or after but like this one she literally sings about like there's a dog who comes when she calls so i would kind of assume that this is one of the songs that she was working on before the dog passed away it feels like a much older lord in a way like feels much more connected to her writing style on melodrama than some of the other songs on this album do and i really love this song i think it's really good i i think it's her trying to like I mean, a lot. I, that's what I would describe as like the kind of one of the more consistent internal threads is like Lord reckoning with herself and mm-hmm. the it's still in a sense kind of a coming of age album because she's kind of like reckoning with like what does she want her adulthood to look like because that's what she had her teenage years and she had like that kind of weird in between period of like the kind of college age years of that that is melodrama because I don't really consider that to be like full adulthood. I don't think I'm like a full adult at 20. I think I'm still like kind of a kid. And then this is her kind of being like, well, now I'm a grown woman and I don't know whether things are all going to change or whether I'm still going to be this kind of similar person. Cause there's that like line of like, cause all the music you loved at 16, you'll grow out of. And then she immediately says that she doesn't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. I think she's just like trying to figure out like how much is she going to change as she grows and like that also this is also kind of happening through the lens of her being like high at this very mundane place. There are uh, parts of this album where she's coming from the perspective of someone who's pretending to have all the answers. This is very much her as someone who finally understands that she has none of the answers. Yeah. And, and sort of reckoning with the idea that like the dreams of pure heroine, the dreams of melodrama, and even the dreams of solar power, she's she already knows that they're hollow. Mm-hmm. It, it's very much sort of like a sort of, well, I'm, I'm grown up now and I have to accept these things, even if I might not really want to. Like, I don't think anyone ever really wants to grow out of like the music that they loved when they were young. And I think we all kind of like keep a space in it in our hearts for like, those songs that we loved when we were 16. You know, I don't really think anyone ever completely stops having a soft spot in their heart for the things that defined like their teenage years and stuff. But like, you also kind of have to acknowledge that like you can't take all of that with you as an adult. And and I also think that that image of being stoned at the nail salon is is, is sort of an interesting take. It sort of reminds me of um, the movie Shampoo, which is, you know, sort of this uh, chatty like uh, drama that's sort of set around the backdrop of Richard Nixon's election. And so I think that it, it sort of speaks to that same idea of like 
maybe she has that same ego as she always had, but she just has more time on her hands. And she <laughs> and she's sort of, you know, questioning her life without an awareness of anything outside of herself. Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting stuff here. The other interesting thing, there's the line, uh, got a memory of you waiting in your bed wearing only my earrings. That's, you know, again, whenever you bring like another person into a Lord album, it gets kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's confirmed that this line relates to the half my wardrobe on your bedroom floor line from the Louvre. Mm -hmm. I I, I think that, you know, she's talking about a specific relationship here, obviously, but I also think that that like the personified California love from, from the previous song is also sort of who she's referring to with some of these things. Mm -hmm. And um, this person, this you that she's talking to, she's distanced from them because of the rising of the sun. Mm-hmm. some playful stuff there i like the writing on this song a lot i i think the vibe is a, a folk song like through a prism in a, in a mm-hmm. way that's kind of interesting but uh doesn't totally do it for me at least not in the way that liability did it's it's not mm-hmm. as like meant to be as as like devastating as as liability was yeah. it's meant to be more sort of stagnant but um I guess it does capture that pretty well. It, it is also that it's kind of like it's it's less about being devastating and more sort of like it feels very much like she's looking back on something. Yeah, it, it's definitely coming from a different place. And again, I think that's coming from a place of like being stuck in a way and sort of like it's reflecting on her past in a way that's like, well, my presence not that great either. And, <laughs> and maybe there's just nothing. Yeah, it's uh striking mm-hmm. but speaking of striking uh fallen fruit is the next track and i was kind of immediately electrified by it in a way that i you know california and uh stone of the nail salon are both so like melancholy and it can be like you know having those two right next to each other it can start to wear you down but then like this this mama's and the papa's you know melody and harmony and stuff on this track it like i was instantly like this is fun mm-hmm. And uh, also brings back some of that cult leader kind of uh, <laughs> kind of energy there. Uh, you know, we'll walk together psychedelic garlands in our hair through the halls of splendor where the apple trees all grew. You'll leave us dancing on the fallen fruit. Really evocative stuff. She's sort of talking about uh, a climate apocalypse here and this idea of the, the, these people sort of coming together in, in, in the wreckage and sort of this natural imagery but talking about sort of a sort of a wasted landscape Mm -hmm. uh yeah some really some really evocative stuff here yeah and I mean earlier when I was kind of commenting on that like line being like uh the line about the garden being an allusion to Garden of Eden I would say that like I wasn't like 100% sure in that but like I definitely think she's going for some imagery like that here because like the whole like calling a song fallen fruit is like there's that's immediately what someone would think of is like the taking of the apple and the biting into the and falling from eden it kind of feels like lord being like this is what's actually in the garden that i don't want to be in anymore Mm. because it has this like kind of like fruit that like maybe from the outside it looks super shiny and but once you bite into it you kind of like find like the rot inside of it almost but it's a garden she's called to also. I also just think that, you know, in terms of imagery coming back, a lot of pure heroine feels like it's about these like imagery laden apocalyptic dance parties. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very much like bringing that imagery back, except like instead of sort of calling to these ideas of high society and celebrity, this one is calling to nature and, and, and sort of recontextualizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with the garlands and the fruit and the seed mm-hmm. and the vapor like 
you know, it's, um, yeah, it feels very pure heroin in a lot of ways. They're not partying in like abandoned warehouses anymore. Now they're like partying in like people's like beautiful, lush, manicured Hollywood backyards or whatever. In addition to the melody being really striking here, I feel like the sound of it kind of comes together in a way that I don't think anything up to this point on the album did. Like Mm -hmm. the, you know, it's sort of, you know, a very Lord and Antonoff take on like that 60s flower child kind of ballad. I like mm-hmm. the the bridge part. And she talked about how she sucks at writing bridges. And she felt like the quote here is, I like that bridge in the middle of that song. I don't write many bridges anymore. I don't know why. I'm just not good at them. Taylor is so good at them. We do talk about it. I'm like, how are you so good at bridges? By the time I get to that point in the song, I'm like, I've got nothing else to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I find that really funny because I love a lot of Lord's Bridges. Like my favorite part of Solar Power is like the weird like bit with like Freedom 90 with with that whole bridge. Like that's like probably my favorite part of the song too. And I think of, I immediately think of uh, On Homemade Dynamite, the like she's got some, she's got some fun bridges going on. But uh, what I like about the bridge, in addition to just the thing itself, the uh, Nissan to the Phantom to the plane and the pocket full of seed and all that, like, I I also like the, um, and the Phantom is interesting because it's sort of a, it's that kind of like ostentatious wealthy person thing that she would talk about on Pure Heroin. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the, um, the way that the 808 comes in on that, and that's like the only electronic drum on the entire album. And there's also like a saxophone that comes in at that part. I just like... It, it, I, you know, I like the way that little things are being, little wrenches are being thrown into that, uh, the 60s sounds here. And I think there are, I don't think there's enough of that on this album, honestly. I, I, I like, I'd like to see more of it. Mm-hmm. The next track is Secrets from a Girl Who's Seen It All. I really like this song. The the Nelly Furtado vibes are definitely here in a big way. Like it's mm-hmm. it's got those early 2000s kind of vibes to it. Yeah, I mean, this is also like definitely, definitely again has that like feeling of like Lord talking to her younger self, where she's like almost very explicitly doing that in like the second verse where she was like, um, baby girl, no one's going to feel the pain for you. You're going to love again. So just try staying open. Like that, that feels like something people say to their younger selves, like all the time, like, don't worry, it gets better. You know, you love again, you get past the heartbreak. And it, it's also, it's very interesting because she's again, like kind of reinforcing that thing of like, that she's kind of been on the inside and seen the secrets of the Royals and she doesn't quite know how to feel about it, but like, she knows she's going to get through it. Yeah. I like that. This is, um, you know, because because solar power sort of like builds from nothing to that really sort of sort of anthemic place. And this one is sort of like having that same kind of fun, but it's just solid throughout. It's got the it's got a good bounce to it, I feel like. And then, yeah, in terms of the her talking to herself, that that baby girl line was sort of the thing that made me think that maybe the are you coming, my baby is uh, is, is a reference to herself. Mm-hmm. But um crying in the dark at your best friend's parties, dancing with my girls. Again, it's sort of calling to the parties of, of pure heroin and melodrama. It reminds me a lot of the, 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 the sort of parties there or the one party maybe described on, on melodrama, which I, I, I think she explicitly described that album as a party. But um, again, this, it's sort of talking about how this album is, she's finding herself closing that chapter and she's sort of reckoning with her younger self about what it means to leave leave the party behind Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I also I love that she has Robin on this song doing like the spoken outro because I love Robin I like Robin a lot I don't love the outro no I think it's just I think it's just I I think it's weird but like I do love that she's 
just just got Robin in there randomly. I like that she's on there. She describes how she saw this as something in like a Eurythmics or Robin kind of area with that with that perspective of her talking to her younger self. And I definitely think that um, it makes sense and adds something to put Robin on here. The idea that she's like, a, I think Lord said, a surreal flight attendant, like... I, you know, it's a fun idea, but I just feel like the, you know, you can pick up your emotional baggage at Carousel number two. Like, like it's it's, it's kind of cheesy, yeah. I feel like. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if the ideas are fully baked. Yeah, there's a lot in this album that feels like a bunch of kind of like kind of disjointed ideas being like thrown together and some of it works and some of it doesn't. A lot of it has this kind of like almost like rough draft feel to it. Especially with like, there's one or two songs on here that are like less than two minutes long. You know, there's, uh, there, there are definitely a lot of moments where it feels that way. I guess there's a certain narrative trajectory of this album that's like her being pulled into the sun and then sort of burning up and maybe being reborn at the end. I, where, where maybe the flight attendant thing kind of comes, but then she's saying welcome to sad. Oh, but she could be saying welcome to sadness as in welcome to like the acceptance that like, things are fucked up and you, you know, you can't necessarily save everyone, but yeah, I, I think there are moments, especially in the coming songs where she sort of is trying out new directions that don't necessarily fit into that idea. Mm-hmm. Dreams and inner visions, all your mystical ambitions, do your best to trust all the rays of light. And that I think speaks to that, like, like maybe her, pre- her present voice is like the, that like sun priestess character mm-hmm. and this, you know, sort of self-doubting voice from the, from the last couple songs is the, the younger self or the more personal self. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, just the fact that she's, you know, again, sort of leading her into the sun, mm-hmm. that, that sort of imagery, I think speaks to the, that position still being there. I will say like that, that also kind of like reminds me a lot of like hair and like, like the musical hair and the kind of like, there's a bunch of songs on like the cast recording for that musical that kind of have a similar vibe to a lot of this album of this kind of like trying to embrace this sort of like flower child sunny energy while the world is falling apart around you yeah and especially like the final um oh god what's the final song um which is um literally like let the sun shine in um, yeah, let the sunshine. And they're singing this like happy song about letting the sunshine in while one of the main characters is going off to join the Vietnam War. And there's like mm-hmm. that's that's the thing with like hair is like I love that musical and I love the songs on it. And I think maybe that's kind of like what I hear in this album that I like in it is that it kind of has like that like faux shininess of the idea of like the 70s flower children versus like what the actual lives of those 70s flower children were like and that some of them did go off to war and die and their li- and some of them did burn up in the sun. And it wasn't always like this, like just like beautiful, perfect dancing around Central Park with flowers in your hair kind of thing. That is so interesting. At at like Age of Aquarius, like like I'm just thinking of all the (laughs) with mood ring that comes together with that. But man, I mean, I there's probably a lot to that actually. This is why you bring me on the podcast for those obscure 1970s musical theater references. So the next track is uh, The Man with the Axe, which um, not sure how I feel about it. 
you know, it's a love song. And um, I guess the idea of Lord doing a love song is sort of, it, you, you know, you can see how that sort of plays into the idea of like, she's in a new space now and she's more grown up and she's not sure how she feels about it. And um, I just, again, I think that whenever Lord starts singing about someone else, it gets to be kind of weird. It, it is a little bit of an odd song because as much as it's as much as it is a love song, it also doesn't feel like a lot of the lyrics don't feel like a compliment. Like the I should have known when your favorite record was the same as my father's. You'd take me down like that is not that doesn't feel like a complimentary thing to write about someone. And like the whole imagery of like the man that she loves being the man with the axe. And like it, it's such an and her being a tree is interesting. In yeah, that too. I'm sorry, I just had a very strong image in my head of Lord as like Grandmother Willow and Pocahontas is where her face <laughs> is like on a tree. <laughs> that I, I want to know why Lord didn't have a music video for this album of her as like a that actually would have been interesting if she had like interpreted like the myth of like Daphne being turned into a tree to get away from Apollo, the sun god. Like, there's something there. Oh. And maybe I should be like, hey, girl, why didn't you put that on the album? There's so much sun imagery on there. Why don't you go into ancient Greece? But yeah, I agree that that, that imagery is weird. And in the context of all this naturalistic imagery on this album, this idea of her giving into nature, this song being written to a guy with an axe is sort of an interesting yeah. layer to that. But it's it's kind of a, you know, sort of melancholy song in a lot of moments, too. I thought I was a genius, but now I'm 22 and it's starting to feel like all I know how to do is put on a suit and take it away. Uh, the, I mean, the, this cup the, that there and then the chorus with my fistful of tunes that it's painful to play fingernail worlds like favorite seashells. They fill up my nights and then they float away. That That's amazing shit right there. But it's so out of tune with what the rest of the song is. Yeah, it, it it's also interesting because like it feels like almost like a song written about an ex, which is interesting because she's very much still dating this guy. And it's just it, it's just a very strange song because it feels like she's writing about this very corporate guy that she apparently loves. Part of it just like seems um, I don't even know, like I this is not my favorite song on this album, I have to say. Yeah, as we're talking about it, I I feel like there are interesting ideas here that that sort of make me want to figure out how it all comes together. But like, definitely on the surface, it feels out of step with the rest of the album. Yeah, it it, it feels a little unfinished. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at what Lord said about it. Yeah, it seems like she... uh, wrote this as a poem when she was very hungover and fragile and then she like put it as is into a song and didn't change anything uh okay yeah that makes sense that's interesting i guess i see the idea at this point in the album where she's sort of experiencing this kind of ego death and not sure where she stands after it to have a song that's just like some very personal feelings Mm -hmm. that are just sort of being put out there and don't necessarily make sense yeah but also they don't necessarily make sense. Yeah, like, I mean, I've I've definitely written love poems or like I've written poems about people that like I don't share with other people and they're kind of like just for me and in my private relationship with this person. I might, I might not even necessarily show that person the poem because it's much more about how they make me feel than about who they actually are. Yeah, I've, I've made the mistake of showing that person the poem before. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, that's kind of the thing is like, if, if this is this like very private poem that she wrote, like hung over and like not really thinking about it, it's, it's strange to put that completely unchanged onto an album. It feels like the thing with this album is it feels almost like reading kind of like her, her notebook almost like like reading this thing that's kind of got all these like messy drafts in it and like some are like fleshed out ideas and some of them are just kind of like maybe this would be interesting like it feels like it feels like getting a sketchbook instead of like a very fleshed out painting or something yeah i i think that she could have done more on the like marketing and presentation side to maybe sell this as a less finished album Mm -hmm. because it is sort of presented I think as a very complete piece in a way that uh, you know there are a lot of ideas there that don't feel that way and again I kind of see the general idea of like at this point in the album let's do something really raw Mm -hmm. and you know something that wouldn't necessarily belong on a pop album for radio I like the kind of spacey instrumentation that comes in too but I sort of feel like this is a moment where I would want this to sound more different from the rest of the album than it does. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a general thing that I have with this album where like, I guess a lot of pure heroine sounds uh, pretty samey and, you know, melodrama has a lot of tricks early on and then kind of uh, gets into a groove after that. But I think that there's just, like you said, there's kind of that sheen and that like, that 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 sort of distortion that that exists throughout everything in a way that I might have liked to see and the cicada sounds that are on a lot of the songs and like there, there there's just some a lot of through lines here where I would have liked to see some some of these songs have have more difference to them mm-hmm. the next track is another weird one dominoes it, it reminded me you know it's kind of a takedown track and it's like where, where the last one was sort of a love song this is like a sort of a post breakup like you know you're watering all the flowers you planted with your new girlfriend outside on the rooftop just another phase you're rushing on through go all new age out running your blues Call, calling it mr start again this feels like something that the, the kind of song that taylor swift exactly is yeah <laughs> these this like is, take down songs this is so taylor i mean like i'm sure taylor was like an influence on this album because like they're friends and I'm sure they've like worked together or at least like shown their music to each other while they're working on it but like I mean the whole phrase of like being Mr. Start Again feels like a very Taylor Swift lyric like with the Mr. Perfectly Fine thing it it also kind of reminds me a little bit of like the of um of Greenlight because there's this like the line of like um she thinks you love the beach you're such a damn liar of like, oh, you're doing all these things with this new girlfriend and she doesn't know that this is a lie and it's not who you are or it's you're taking on this new persona for your new girlfriend and I know the truth and that's not who you are. I, I definitely, I think this song is, you know, a little too short to uh, to really like amount to anything before it ends. But I do think that there are interesting ideas the more you look at it. And I definitely think that there's, um, I, I, I think you can sort of see it as there's like, the ex and the current uh, partner and the, you know, those are sort of like, like, like you can very cl- clearly distinguish like who she's talking to or about when she is talking to her about someone other than herself. But I, I was talking earlier about how I felt like the ex was also sort of the, the California love that she talks about on the second song. And I think that mm-hmm, does that kind of work here? I'm not sure, but uh, there are some interesting things on here though. I like the, 
I, I, I'm just seeing so many lines that are like very Taylor Swift. Like uh, you get 50 gleaming chances in a row and I watch you flick them down like dominoes is so, is so Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's strange to see you smoking marijuana. I used to do the most cocaine out of anyone I'd ever met. That's <laughs> like, I can't picture Taylor like actually putting a line about like drugs in a song. Cause she's very squeaky clean, but like it, it is very like, it feels almost like a bit like Taylor Swift with some bite. Yeah, with a little bit of edge to her. You know, the quote that Lord had on this song is interesting. She said, solar power is about utopias and wellness is very much a utopia. It was also a big facet of the kind of 60s, 70s, new age enlightenment, age of Aquarius, seeking this thing that will give us the answers and make us feel whole. I feel like everyone kind of knows someone like this. It really cracked me up to say it's strange to see you smoking marijuana. You used to do the most cocaine of everyone I'd ever met. We all know that guy. I think that um, <laughs> that idea of utopias was something that I kept coming back to here. And I think to the extent that this album is sort of poking holes in these like, you know, nature worshiping kind of ideas in the face of a, of a climate crisis, I kind of feel like this one doesn't work as well as like Mood Ring or some of the other ones because it's like talking to, like, like directly taking down someone else, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it feels like the rest of this, there's so much like kind of ego death going on in this album and self-reflection that, mm-hmm. you know, for this song to just be like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's funny, but it sort of doesn't jibe with that. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting that like when the song ends, it's with the sound of like city noises and sirens because mm-hmm. that's something that you won't hear anywhere else on this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I wonder if there's something to that. It's, it, I mean, there must be, but uh, it's very interesting. So the next track is Big Star, which according to Lord is about her dog. Classic song about your dog on the climate change ego death album. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that this isn't really just about her dog. I think she wrote it about her dog. But in the context of the album, I do think that it's the most meaningful track we've had in, uh, in a bit by this point. Because what's a big star? The sun. Oh, for a second <laughs> I thought you were talking about like, I know there's a dog constellation. And I was trying to be like, fuck, what the What's the dog constellation called? (laughs) I was like, damn it, I'm not up on my constellations as much as I need to be. It took me like halfway through listening to this song and this album to be like, wait a minute, the sun is a big star. (laughs) I also also think that the chorus of like, baby, you're a big star, want to take your picture, like kind of ties back into the California love and the my boy behind me taking pictures thing. Like, Like, you know, it's sort of speaking to like that. It, it evokes that idea of celebrity mm-hmm. again. Maybe maybe the boy behind her is the dog. Mm, maybe she trained the, the dog, dog to use a camera. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Like I as much as I like think that this is pro- like a very real song about like the dog that she really loved. I just I find the concept of like Lord writing this very serious song about her dog to just be a little bit funny. Yeah, like, like I said, I think there's, you know, more going on here. But the fact that it is at the end of the day about about a dog, like um, in in the midst of everything else, doing a song about a dog is is fun. Mm -hmm. This is what I kind of meant with like with album being kind of like, there's a lot of different stuff that's kind of mashed together is that like, in the middle of this album where you think you have like a kind of concrete theme going on, you all of a sudden have this song about like this dead dog and like that that feels almost like completely disconnected from what the rest of the album is about. 
And especially because like the style on the song feels like very different from the rest of the album. Yeah, it is uh, definitely in a different kind of uh, space from it. I do think just just looking at the the pre-chorus here, there are a ton of things here that reference earlier songs on this album and earlier albums. This was obviously one of the songs that she was uh, writing before the dog died. And um, this this album sort of contains things from before and after. So there's um, a a mix of things there. But I think that I'm just looking at these lines here. Every perfect summer has got to say good night on liability. She said every perfect summer is eating me alive. She keeps coming back to liability on this album in interesting ways. And I think maybe Mm -hmm. that was that that could have been I don't know if it was the last song she wrote for for melodrama, but it definitely feels like that space informed what she went into early on on this album. And I mean, you know, you're going to watch me disappear into the sun. Definitely (laughs) feels like a moment where she kind of knew what the next thing was going to be. But um, the every person has got to say goodnight. Now I want you to run through the amber light as opposed to a, as opposed to a green light. Maybe I used to love the party. No, I'm not. All right. Of course, you know, melodrama being a party and parties being a big part of uh, pure heroin as well. Drinking in the dark, take me home tonight. Like the, you, you know, <laughs> there are all these images of like Lord in the space that she was in on her on her previous albums here. And then, um, but I don't know at this point in the album to be back in that space and back talking about, you know, you're a big star. I want to take your picture. You know, it, it does feel a little bit like we've lost the movement that was there up to this point. There's this other thing that was really interesting. I used to love the party. Now I'm not all right. Hope the honeybees make it home tonight. You know, of course, on Royals, she said, let me be your ruler. You could call me Queen Bee. That that sort of makes me think of like, I don't know, the idea of her like, you know, moving away from that leadership role and kind of, again, that ego death that I was talking about earlier. And then it ends with, I want to take your picture till I die, which is sort of like, I mean, maybe in terms of ego death, like she's become, maybe she's found that adoration in the sun that other people found in her. And now she wants to sort of bask in the sun's light until she, until she dies. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a not a not an especially memorable song. I think is the is the biggest problem with it for me. Like, uh, there's definitely some juicy stuff in there, but uh, I just don't. It, it just doesn't stick with me that well. Mm-hmm. And the next one is "Leader of a New Regime," which is another short one. This one uh, sort of makes that idea of like chasing the sun more like like it's made manifest here when she says wearing SPF 3000 for the ultraviolet late rays and um you know made it to the island on the last of the outbound planes like it describes her kind of taking a one-way train into her plane into the sun with only dresses and magazines to accompany her which she um what she said about it was that she thought it was a funny idea to have a pop star packing nothing but magazines and designer dresses the the quote here this song is set in the distant or not so distant future one where the environment is unlivable society is broken down and we're all escaping to our far-flung natural sanctuaries to start again so going back to that idea of utopias i think the idea of like in the face of this climate apocalypse sort of making these nature-themed utopias that maybe don't really exist or are uh you know these perfect places, as she as she says mm-hmm. at the end of at the end of melodrama the, 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 that everybody's chasing here. I think the core concept of this album could be seen to be like in the face of the apocalypse, just sort of 
constructing these fantasies about finding a savior in nature. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about this is that like, um, I've been listening to I Know the End by by Phoebe Bridgers on repeat a lot lately. And there's specifically a line in, um, I think in the beginning of like the third verse um, where she goes into like the really intent, the verse that like kind of becomes more and more intense where um, she thinks about like letting the ultraviolet cover her. And that is also very much like kind of a song about the end of days in a way. It's in, and it's about a very different one because it's kind of for you be kind of describing like this sort of, um, small town like kind of abandoned it always felt to me like she was describing like a ghost town of like the sort of very stereotypical middle american town or something but it's Hmm. like kind of emptied out now and it's kind of apocalyptic and meanwhile lord is still talking about those ultraviolet rays but she's experiencing them not in like a car driving past billboards and strip malls she's experiencing them on like some beautiful paradise island that doesn't really exist yeah, I think that uh, this won't somebody, anybody be the leader of a new regime. Like that idea, it's taking that idea of utopias that you were talking about earlier. And then also this idea of like looking for a leader, sort of desperately searching for one and how she in res- in resigning from that post and connecting to nature has become someone who needs that kind of guidance. Mm-hmm. Become part of the 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 we who needs the leader of a new regime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the vibes on this track. Again, just as short as it is, it's sort of not super memorable, mm-hmm. but not bad at all. And it takes us interestingly into into mood ring. At the time, I remember you saying that uh, you didn't like mood ring as much as uh, the 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 other two songs that had come out at that time. Yeah, I mean, I still like. I- I, I, I still think it's a good song. It's just like, like to me, the song is so specifically kind of like making fun of that kind of like new agey spiritualism that like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like, I have honestly never really been into all that stuff so much. Like I, I'm quasi into astrology, but I don't really believe in it any of that much. And like, I like tarot readings and I like crystals, but I don't really like believe in them to the extent that like I have friends who really believe in it. And my position has always kind of been like, it's a fun thing. Sure. I'll, I'll, I like the shiny rock. I like these pretty cards, but like, I don't necessarily believe that it's going to like fix my whole life. It's just, it's not something that I connected to. I think like out of the three songs, I probably connected to the feelings of Stoned at the Nail Salon the most. I mean, also just like the mood that I'm in right now is not really the mood for this album. I I think like the what I'm feeling and what I'm personally going through, I think I relate a lot more to the feelings on stuff like um, A World Alone and on Ribs and like that kind of feeling of like trying to figure out like what it means to be young in a way, I guess. And like, that's not really what this is about. Yeah, and it's an interesting thought maybe to how uh, the pandemic caused a lot of people to sort of regress in, in, in a way where they were dealing with the similar feelings to being a being a teenager just in terms of lack of control and ra- lack of, you know, guidance and looking for belonging, I guess, and, you know, friends and all that. I think that the ideas of pure heroin sort of became resonant with with people in the way where someone like Lord, who a being very wealthy and and connected and be living alone and away from social media and C living in New Zealand where the pandemic was 
handled uh differently to 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 us for sure yeah um i think that she was sort of privileged in being able to continue building forward and there's a sense throughout this album of like disconnect from what the rest of the world was going through absolutely yeah like if not for the pandemic this this album might have landed better <laughs> yeah i think so too i mean i think that's really the hard thing and i mean a lot of the stuff that i've kind of been going through is very much like almost entirely because of the pandemic and i've had you know i'm, I'm back at home with my parents and it feels a little i feel a lot of the time like I'm back in the sort of same feeling that I was in high school. And so, of course, I relate to the album that Lord was writing about those sort of high school emotions. But I I mean, I guess like there is some stuff on this that I relate to, though, because at the same time that I'm like feeling some of those high school emotions, I'm also very much not a child anymore. And so I kind of can't Mm -hmm. feel them to the extent that I used to. And I have to reflect on that, which is partly what this album is about. But it's also just like I, I think this album was always going to be a tough sell in regards to the pandemic. Yeah, especially since I think that, you know, she's fixated on this idea of like retreating into naturalistic utopias in the face of the climate apocalypse. And Mm -hmm. in the in the pandemic era, in the age where there's there's an airborne virus all over the world, people aren't exactly retreating into nature. I do like the vibes of this song a lot. It's very Natasha Bedingfield, very, you know, that same like beachy you know f club seven kind of stuff that she was talking about the the, that sound is definitely on here and i think it's done very well it's a good pop track you know looking at that side of of giving into nature once again you could sort of seeing as fitting in a way with dominoes or or the darker undertones of solar power itself but now it's sort of like she's embodying the person who's been subsumed by that world and after in the previous song talking about um you know making that escape and looking for the new leader now this is her like sort of entrenched in that idea of uh you know finding solace in nature and you know saluting the sun and meditation and the you know all this stuff it's it's very like kind of campy almost and just fully uh fu- fully kind of satirical with it in a mm-hmm. in a in a fun way but in a way that can feel a little um can sort of put people off just because it's uh confrontational again just like a lot of a lot of lord stuff is so like self-reflective in a way that people resonate with and in a way that people kind of feel called out by because they <laughs> because it's so resonant yeah. but you know when, when she was just sort of making someone else the butt of the joke and someone else who is not necessarily doing anything wrong it, yeah. it, it, it gets to be sort of weird this song is also very like kind of going back to like what i said earlier about this album reminding me a lot of hair this is very much age of aquarius and like singing yeah. about all that kind of stuff in terms of like you know the astrology and crystals and like the kind of sort of general trendy witch stuff that's happening now and it, it's just kind of interesting because this song feels very much like you know that maybe that that was thing lord was buying into for a little while and then she kind of had like a moment where she was like this isn't really for me but like in i i wish that her approach to that had been less like making fun of it as a concept and been more like this is why i disconnected from it or being mm-hmm. like this is what i was feeling when i was experiencing those things and i mean i think like that's the hard thing is that like the reason why i listen to lord is not for like biting social commentary on like trendy witch things i kind of do think that she is trying to be making fun of herself 
and you know making fun of her own interest in in those things and but i just think that it doesn't come off that maybe she's you know too mean to herself for that kind of self-reflective satire to work um mm-hmm. but i think the uh you know, it definitely fits into this narrative of like, you know, give of like relying on the dying natural world to sort of do the heavy lifting in your life. There probably is a personal angle to this, and that probably is like where it comes from. And I would even say that like it feels very in touch to do a song about that phenomenon just because it exists so like kind of exclusively on social media in in, in, a, in a lot of ways. But um I don't know. It, it, I I do like this song a lot. It's a, a highlight of this album for me, but I see why people um, felt felt that it was g- kind of preachy in a in in, in yeah. a way that I, I I do like the song. I just it's it's not something that I guess I personally click with. One thing that I did think was interesting is how the last song on melodrama obviously is talking about trying to find perfect places and this this album lord talks about how it's about utopias and you know on this song by the end she doesn't even know she, she just says take me to some kind of place like she doesn't even <laughs> she doesn't even know enough to know that she wants a perfect place anymore that she wants that 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 garden of eden maybe that we were talking about she just wants like a place mm-hmm so yeah, I I I like this song a lot at the end of the day. And I think when you get past that surface level, I mean on a surface level it's catchy, but uh but but sort of mean. And then when you get past that surface level, you're like, oh, this is you know a little more personal than I thought, and then it's got a lot going on. So I'm I'm pro that one. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the last song, uh Oceanic Feeling, which begins by utilizing it's saying it's a blue day and using blue in a in a similar way to how it's used on Buzzcut season as, um, you know, blue skies and the blue of the ocean, like uh, easy in this blue where everything is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's parts in it that like feel like the whole line of um, the in the first verse, sliding the knife under the skin, grateful for this offering and all the living things under the sun. It kind of continues that sort of feeling of that. It's sort of like this that she's sort of thinking about this sort of almost religion, worshiping the sun and worshiping nature and of sacrificing things to the sun and nature. And and even though like apparently sliding the knife under the skin is literally about like the fish that she's caught in like the introduction of the song. I think like if you say that you're sliding the knife under, like if you're putting a knife in something, it doesn't, I feel like people are gonna be like, this is about more than just like straight up like gutting a fish fishing yeah Yeah. (laughs) she's she's gone fishing on this one i think um (laughs) i'm sorry i'm just like now i'm just like thinking about like lord being like it's not a good morning because if it was a good morning i'd be fishing absolutely i i think she's in this um at this point in the album looking at the narrative of the whole thing it's sort of like recontextualizing that idea of herself as a leader and sort of you know reflecting on her life and realizing that she can't really be that anymore and then sort of like i said giving herself up to the sun and joining this sort of this sort of cult of the sun that i you know think can be a metaphor for any kind of um you know trying to take solace in nature and and you know live by nature and try kind of try to find meaning in that and then she kind of that thing starts to get warped as the song goes on i think uh i mean she's talking very personally about her father and her brother and her potential daughter in the future mm-hmm. 
but she's also there's the line every day is blue and never cloudy don't look down i can make anything real as if to say like this isn't real but let's pretend that it is you know Mm -hmm. just just don't worry about it the don't look down reminds me of like a a roadrunner sketch where you know the coyote runs off the cliff and then he doesn't realize that he's not on ground anymore until he looks down yeah i mean the 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 line in the song that i like immediately heard about like when this when the whole album dropped was the now the cherry black lipsticks gathering dust in a drawer i don't need her anymore because like mm-hmm. all of like the day one pure heroin lord stands were like no not the cherry black lipstick and yeah. like I, I think it's interesting that she's so clearly being like, I'm not that girl anymore. But um, it feels like she's also trying to like prove to herself that she's not that girl anymore because that she's like repeating yeah. this over and over again that she just has to like breathe in and breathe out and breathe in and breathe out. And like, you know, like there's almost this sort of feeling of like when you're trying to calm yourself down and you're just trying to take like a deep breath, but like the deep breaths become kind of frantic. And like, you're almost like kind of hyperventilating. Like it almost feels more like that than like genuinely like taking like a deep centering breath. Like it feels like the kind of breath that you take where you're like, (gasps) (gasps) like, like that kind of deep breath where you're like taking it kind of panicking. Yeah, I think that with the cherry black lipstick and I don't need it anymore thing. I think it's one of the moments on this album where she is, she's saying it in the point of view of like, this is the narrative of the album, but. I think fans are kind of taking it like she means it for real <laughs> more so than she actually does. And I think that, um, that, that, that is part of the problem of her as a, as a pop star and her as someone with these like celebrity narratives that you can't control is that, you know, she wanted this to be more conceptual and more of a storytelling album, but also about herself. And sometimes that just comes out in ways that, you know, people are going to, are going to narrativize in ways that she doesn't want. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if she, if I, I think the meaning there might not be I don't need her anymore as in I don't need the lipstick, but rather I don't need her anymore as in like she she's given up that side of herself because she's been subsumed, subsumed by the sun. The next line is because I got this power. And I mm-hmm. think that's referring to the solar power. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't really have, like, two more, like, different distinct images than, like, the image of, like, the kind of, like, grungy emo teenager with her dark lipstick versus this kind of, like, sun priestess who's, like, dancing along in the beach with, like, flower chains in her hair and stuff. Like, those are just, like... Yeah, with the boys and the girls. Yeah, it's so different. It's, like, um, I don't know why this is the first thing that popped in my head, but it's, like, Daria versus, um, like, an ancient Greek priestess or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the outro on this song is like, it's fucking crazy. It's like the end of a, of a succession episode where it's just like suddenly all this shit gets thrown at you and like, oh, <laughs> it's, you know, I'm just reading the lines here. Oh, was enlightenment found? No, but I'm trying, taking it one year at a time. Oh, oh, can you hear the sound? It's shimmering higher. On the beach, I'm building a pyre. And, and then there's, we get the first like, dude voice on the entire album from marlon williams saying use the wood brought in by the tide and then she says i know you'll show me how i'll know when it's time to take off my robes and step into the choir it it almost feels like she's like sacrificing herself to the sun and that she's going to like burn herself in the flames and that like that earlier thing with like sliding the knife under the skin and feeling like i i don't know whether this is directly what she intended but that feeling like she was sacrificing something and now it um like i know you'll show me how i know when it's time 
it's very odd and it's also like on the deluxe album she also has like the bonus track of like Helen of Troy and so like I think she definitely I would be surprised if she wasn't thinking at all about like Greek influences and like classical influences in regards to like sacrifices to the gods because that's what happened is that people and animals and all sorts of things were sacrificed to gods for different things. And it's it's interesting. It, uh, it's almost like um, the thing that I immediately think of when I think of someone being sacrificed on a pyre is I think of um, Hercules burning himself up on a pyre to burn his mortar, mortal self away and join the gods. And that's actually kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't know whether this is directly what Lord was doing or I'm just a huge Greek mythology nerd, but um, he like burns himself away on this pyre and then he becomes this like golden one of the gods and like he still has a life, but he's not mortal anymore. And it, it almost feels like Lord is like about to like burn her old self away on the pyre. Yeah, I think there are a few potential uh, interpretations here. I think in one sense, this... I think what it probably is just in terms of the narrative of this album is that at the end she has sort of walked into the sun and been and you know her the character that she's playing has has you know given up her leadership and become like a a follower of the cult of nature and Mm -hmm. you know at the end she's just like now I've accepted my mortality and I I'll 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 know that there's meaning in it when when the time comes I definitely think this song is about like accepting mortality in one way or another and it could be that that is the the end point of her joining that cult of nature or if it's her coming out on the other side of it and being like rather than doing that I'm just gonna accept mortality I wonder about what the Marlon Williams voice is supposed to represent because it definitely you know the it, it gives the idea of like you know some deity is speaking to her she you know giving her these instructions use the wood brought in by the tide and then, she's, and then she says, I know you'll show me how I'll know when it's time. So like, I definitely think that, you know, whatever she's come to accept now, whatever this cult that she's joined in, that that's talking to her. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's the sun talking to her and, and you know, preparing her for her death. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I, this whole conversation, I've been trying to like get a feel for what is this album like about? And mm-hmm. I, I still keep coming back to that feeling of like, it feels much more like looking at sketches than it does like looking at like a finished product. And like the sketches might be really good and interesting, but like there's parts of it that just feel like completely unconnected to like other parts in the yeah it, it almost feels like she kind of reached a point where she was like all right I've been working on this for like five years I can't fucking do this anymore I'm just gonna put this out and people can deal with it, it it's interesting that she's talking specifically about stepping into the choir because another thing that I, I didn't quite get a handle on at the end but I was kind of trying to pay attention to was the way that 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 mix of hers and Claro and Phoebe's voices Mm-hmm. comes in at different points of the album and obviously the first track is that choir sort of like inviting her to you know come into the sun that's the first like you know let's hope the sun will show us the path and um mm-hmm. it seems like throughout this album I definitely think those voices are in conversation on solar power and on some of the other uh songs on the record but I think that um I do see it <laughs> like I do see this this process of like I think she's playing a character 
And the idea is that she's playing a version of herself who is at a loss at a point post melodrama where she's realizing that she's an adult and that these things that she used to write about don't appeal to her anymore. And she's worried about her future and her past. We're getting these these sort of sketches of this of, of this new age or naturalistic ideology that she sort of ultimately gives herself up to and, um, you, you know, sort of joins a cult over the course of the album. I feel like because of the way that she sort of reflects on that it's meant to just be like she's playing a character who's kind of herself but I feel like because she's sometimes looking at it from such an outside perspective I feel like maybe if you were doing that narrative a good way to end it might have been coming out the other side of it rather than ending with you like giving yourself up to it and being like someday I'm gonna die and this cult is gonna tell me when that is you know <laughs> like, I on this level though that like that kind of does like the thing that we like that you said at the start of like that this album was like kind of like her like the drug that she was on for most of this album was like her being like stoned a lot of this album does kind of almost feel like that like almost joke of like the high person being like where do we all come from man at the end of the day aren't we all yeah. returned to nature like it it does yeah. very much feel like that it it feels like <laughs> it does I was about to say, this is not an insult. It feels like Cheech and Chong are now like indie alt songwriters or something. Yeah, which is very 60s. That, yeah, I mean, there you go. More 60s. (laughs) That's what it was all about back then. That was what it was all about back then. And I think that, you know, I think she was definitely inspired by that flower child era and the like like the folk and pop musicians of that era and 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 how they sort of came together in an interesting way but <laughs> it's the, like it's not quite there you know like mm-hmm. the, like I'm I'm being as generous as possible and I'm I I think I've I'm I'm finding the narrative here but I just think that I think there are a lot of musical ideas here that end up getting kind of watered down. Like she talks about the, the steal my sunshine stuff on solar power. And so this, she, she talks about the Bee Gees as an artist that she wanted to recall. And I think there's a lack of groove that might come from the production side may come from the Jack Antonoff side, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe working with different musicians on this album would have brought it in a different direction. I also, I think she's sort of being influenced by folk in a way that maybe is is more subtextual but i feel like i would have appreciated stuff that did have more of that groove to it that would Mm -hmm. that you know kind of combine those elements a little better and so overall i just feel like the music isn't really there on on many of these songs and um there are definitely some highlights i like the path i love solar power fallen fruit what else do I like? Secrets from a Girl and uh, Mood Ring are probably my favorites overall. Yeah, I think the concept is, you know, meaningful and there are layers to it, but it doesn't come together as a full package. Mm-hmm. I, I think I understand that. I like it almost feels a bit like more like a collection of singles with kind of like, you know, there's like a bit of a through line, but it doesn't feel quite so much like a cohesive narrative. It feels more like it's it's like kind of the previous not the previous albums felt more like, OK, this is a book and this feels more like it's a collection of short stories. Mm, this is like a like a photo album. Yeah, like it. There, there's there's definitely like stuff in common and you can tell like what the themes of it are supposed to be. But like it's not all quite the same story. Yeah. And I think part of that is that she's playing with so many different perspectives and characters throughout this album. Mm -hmm. And I think 
on a certain level, it's meant to be like just her and another side of herself. And they're mostly in conversation the whole time. But I think there's also like the California love and the real person that kind of represents and the current boyfriend and how that might represent something like that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of players in here and they all have <laughs> have different meanings. Yeah. And, and in that way, I almost kind of feel like this might have been the wrong album to like bring more of like Jack Antonoff and, and Phoebe Bridgers and Claro into because if this is supposed to be such an album about like her relationship with herself, I wonder if it is kind of impeded by like the heavy presence of other lit- of like literally other voices and parts of this do feel like a little bit watered down and like it yeah I kind of wonder what would have happened if she had kind of like gone full force with it and like I would love to see what hair as done by Lord sounds like because it feels like that's the kind of thing that she's going for with that kind of like you know it, it's about these like flower children and they're all like living in this life and they have this like beautiful flower power life but they also have all of these like very real serious issues that they're dealing with and I think that the one thing that Hare has that Lord doesn't have is that with a musical you have you know scenes in between that connect the songs and you have all these other things going on with the actors and you have the actual production that connects what's going on and you have a plot for the most part like there are some musicals that are like sung through and like the musicals are like the whole plot but like hair has a ton of like straight scenes connecting the different songs and that makes it possible to kind of have a lot of like seemingly unrelated songs if you just listen to the recording but once you like are like oh this is the plot of what the actual thing is like lord doesn't have a play accompanying her album she can't point to like the scenes in between and say this is what connects it there's no dialogue between her characters on stage clarifying why she was talking about this cult and now she's talking about her dead dog. Yeah, I almost feel like the ideal version of this as an album, it would be like the Hadestown album. It would have different characters playing, completely distinct voices playing like these two versions of her playing, you know, the old boyfriend, the new boyfriend, the son. And when Marlon Williams' voice voice comes in at the end, you that's very Hadestown. And it gives you a taste mm-hmm. of like, there, there could have been an even more thorough storytelling album that exists in this same world that perhaps could, could have been turned into a musical after that point. And I, you know, I think that this is sort of stuck between, it's stuck between a couple of things. It's stuck between being a personal album and a storytelling album. It's stuck between, I mean, there's that duality of herself that she, uh, that, you know, is very evident there, but it's stuck between being a, um, like a pop album and wanting to do, w- w- wanting to do those like Natasha Bedingfield things and those, uh, you know, Mamas and the Papas, like, 60s power pop things and then also being having such so much of these fundamental folk elements that could have come from the involvement of like phoebe bridgers and claro and and jack antonoff and you know i think that um it's wrestling with itself in a lot of ways and i think that was probably intentional to a certain point but i think that the thing it ends up being is not as strong as any of the things it almost is yeah i would agree with that it's, I think it's also just really, really hard because even in the best of circumstances, pure heroin and melodrama is an almost impossible act to follow in the best of circumstances with the best mm-hmm. possible um, motivations. And 
because this album was so split up in the way that it was produced, like part of it was produced pre-pandemic, part of it was produced after during the pandemic, part of it was produced before her dog died, part of it was produced after, because parts of it were so disjointed, I think that like it just makes it hard for her to create a cohesive narrative from things that were written at such a different point. Yeah, and and I think that um, different artists have been in similar boats with the pandemic. I think it's something that people say Kendrick has been struggling with, where he was clearly about to drop something before the pandemic and has now sort of started over. And it seems like he's maybe working up to releasing something because he's performing at the Super Bowl or whatever. But um, I think that a lot of people are in those positions where they're working on something and then a major life change happens and they have to sort of start from scratch. I feel like Lord did, well, she didn't really do that when her dog died, but she sort of like took that break when her dog died and sort of recontextualized things. And then by the time the pandemic came around, it was like, let's just finish what we have because we've been powering through it for so long. Yeah. It, it, it feels almost like this kind of feeling of like, well, we've gotten this far. Yeah. Like I was saying at the beginning about her maybe being in a place where she could do like a collaborative album with a David Byrne or with someone else at this point. I think this was helpful for her at the end of the day because it, you know, stripped away some of those expectations. Yeah, I I also think part of what she wanted with this album was to be like, I have no interest in being like the whole thing that like, I guess like we were talking about like who's the new Lord is that like Lord mm-hmm. herself didn't seem to have a lot of interest in being like Lord in the way that like some artists who were kind of trying to be her did. Yeah. And I think that this has brought her to a place where she could release a loose single or put out an album a year from now that's a little less put together. She could collaborate with people like this. It, it's put herself in a position where not everything has to be like a, a generation defining project, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that maybe that's what she wanted to begin with. Yeah. Simone, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This has been a, a very enlightening conversation uh, about, about solar power and uh, I've learned a lot. Yeah. The, the sun's um, the sun's really come in as it's completely gone down and it's pitch black outside. You're welcome back anytime, of course. And to the people listening at home, thank you for joining us on this journey. This is probably another long episode. That's fine. I'll be back next week with a new one. If you enjoy the show, best things you can do are support us through Substack, Kofi, or whatever else you want to support us through. We're on on all the streaming platforms. And, you know, share this with people. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends. Let them know know you're having a good time with it. And uh, I'll see you next week. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.